Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Uh, the angels declared it, and the women believed. When Peter heard about this, he went for a run to the tomb, only to find the tomb empty and strips of linen lying in it. Uh, two other disciples, they went home rather downcast, distraught from what they had happened to even. And then along the way, somebody meets them who apparently had no idea what just happened. Uh, they got a theology lesson from this bloke uh, about the Messiah. They still didn't know who it was. Uh, they got home, he took bread, broke it, and they suddenly realized who it was. This is Jesus, risen from the dead. Uh, but he disappeared. And they went back to Jerusalem only to find out that he had actually appeared to Simon as well. So they have all these questions. I mean, could it be, really? Are the women correct? Is Simon really in his right mind? Are the two disciples just imagining things? Is this really Jesus? Uh, the disciples are all gathered together, excited, confused, bewildered, processing what has just happened in the past three days. A lot has happened. And this is where we pick up today in this closing passage of Luke. Now, we're told in Luke chapter 1, in the very first verses, that Luke wants his sponsor, Theophilus, and the other readers to have certainty, to have Ashphalaya certainty of what they have heard. So Luke has investigated thoroughly. He's done his homework. He's spoken to people who have seen these things. He's crossed his T's. He's dotted his I's. And so what's the conclusion that he has come to in part one of this two-part series? What does Luke want us to have certainty of? What are we to have ringing in our ears as we finish off this grand account? Well, it's this. It's that Jesus is the risen and ascended Messiah and that Jesus is to be the pinnacle and center of our lives. Jesus is the risen and ascended Messiah and that Jesus is to be the pinnacle and center of our lives. So here is what we will see today. We'll see Jesus is risen, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is ascended. So firstly, uh, Jesus is risen. Now, if you've known me for a while, you know that I'm a bit of a, a, bit of a fan of you too. Uh, in 2006, I had the amazing privilege of attending my first U2 concert at ANZ Stadium in Sydney on their Vertigo tour. It was a birthday present for me. And I remember the floodlights turning off. The crowd begin to roar, and I see four shadowy figures making their way onto the stage as the pre-music begins to blast. The stage lights come on, and there they were. I distinctively uh, remember telling myself, it's really them, because I had a bit of a hard time believing that there was actually the band members of U2 right in front of me. Uh, this wasn't a concert video, this wasn't a VCR, this was the real thing. Now, turn that disbelief and reaction up to 11, and then we get close to what the disciples thought when Jesus appeared to them in Jerusalem. Uh, so look with me at verse 36. Uh, while they were still talking about this, they were pondering what had happened, uh, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? 
And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see. I have. The disciples can't believe it. They think they've seen a ghost. However, this is no ghost. This is no mirage. This is no combined spiritual experience of the disciples. This is Jesus resurrected with power in the flesh, physically resurrected, victorious over death. Uh, This is what we celebrated last Sunday at Easter. Uh, This is what we celebrate every Sunday. This is what we should celebrate every day. That Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, isn't dead. He is alive. Uh, The disciples were just awestruck. It wasn't quite sinking in for them. Verse 41 says that they didn't believe because of joy and amazement or gladness and wonder. So I wonder, when was the last time that the resurrection of Jesus left us speechless in awe? We can rattle off the words to the Apostles' Creed. We can mindlessly sing the hymns, or at least certainly I can without really meditating on the phenomenal miracle of Jesus' victory over death. Because Jesus alone and his death and resurrection is an amazing hope. In fact, it is the only hope that we can have. If Jesus stayed dead, then there is no hope. There is no good news. But he is alive. And as we heard last week, his resurrection secures ours. It is brilliant good news. Friends, Jesus is risen. Secondly, Jesus is the Messiah. So what does this mean? Uh, What's actually the point of all this? Well, it's important to note that Jesus' death and resurrection, this wasn't an afterthought. This wasn't a reaction. This wasn't plan B. Uh, It seems that all plans that we have today, that we make, uh, have to have a plan B, C, or D uh, because of all the various uh, restrictions going on. So if X or Y happens, then let's go for plan G. But with God, there is no such thing as backup plans. There is no such thing as last resorts or last-ditch efforts. No, God has had a plan for salvation all throughout the history of creation. As we read the Old Testament, it's almost like seeing all these different threads and themes woven throughout the tapestry of the retelling of Israel's history. And if we were to follow these threads and themes, they would all meet together at one point, in one person, in Jesus. Because everything that has happened before finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus says this about himself in verse 44. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This isn't the first time that he said this. He said this in other times, but also on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. He said in verse 26, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
See, all of history was leading to this point of Jesus coming, dying, and rising again. All of the Old Testament uh, leads to and points to Jesus coming, dying, and rising again. So let's just take a few minutes. Let's go on a little excursion. Uh, pack a lunch. Let's go. We're going to go throughout the Old Testament, and let's just see how this plays out. Uh, bear in mind, given the time, this is going to be the highlights of the highlights of the highlights package. Uh, but let's see how we go. So in the beginning, right after the fall, when God speaks to the serpent in the garden, we read in Genesis one, uh, sorry, three fifteen. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. In Jesus' death, he was bruised. He was stricken and afflicted. But in the end, evil was defeated. The evil one's head was crushed. Jesus is this promised saviour and descendant of Eve. So let's move on. If you've ever tried to read the Bible from cover to cover, uh, it's more often than not that we all get stuck in either the end of Exodus in the rules about the tabernacle or Leviticus in all the different rituals and sacrifices that are found in there. Uh, we call this first five books of the Old Testament the law. And the sacrifices that are prescribed had to be done over and over and over and over and over again and because these had to be done constantly, this tells us that they weren't sufficient. That the blood of goats and bulls couldn't take away sin. There needed to be something better. There needed to be a better sacrifice, a better way for sins to be atoned for, a better way for people to be able to live with the holy God. And there is great news, because there has been a better sacrifice, and that's Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus' death and resurrection. There is a better sacrifice that is fulfilled in Jesus. The author to the Hebrews writes in Hebrews 10, 12, uh, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And also, if you remember, when we have communion, we hear these words that we celebrate with his bread and cup, his one perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. At Jesus is a fulfillment of all the Old Testament laws and sacrifices because he is the perfect sacrifice. We don't sacrifice bulls or sheep or doves anymore because Jesus is the fulfillment of these laws. Uh, next, he also fulfills the prophets. Again, we can spend countless hours looking at this, but here are some highlights. Uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. This is 500 years before Jesus. Uh, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. If you were to flick back into Luke chapter 4, uh, we would see Jesus stepping into the synagogue, unravel the scroll, read from this passage, sit down, and say that he is the fulfillment of it. 
He is the one who brings the best news of salvation and freedom from sin in his death and resurrection. At most explicit of all, Isaiah 53 describes the servant who will suffer. The one who is so disfigured beyond that of any human being. The one who is led like a lamb to the slaughter. The one who took the punishment on our behalf. Jesus is this lamb. Jesus is this servant. It was written that Jesus would suffer, die, and rise. And he did exactly that. Uh, This is only two passages from Isaiah that we've seen. We haven't even touched Jeremiah or Ezekiel or the rest of the minor prophets. Uh, But Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all of these. Lastly, the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 22, it's a Psalm of David, which was written about a thousand years before Jesus, before crucifixion was really a thing. It begins with verse 1, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then verse 7, All who mock me, they hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Verse 16, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Does this sound familiar? This is exactly what we saw just on Good Friday when we remembered Jesus' crucifixion. This psalm fulfills, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus is the one who is mocked, whose feet and hands are pierced. And then the very next psalm, Psalm 23, begins with, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And you see, Jesus is our ultimate good shepherd. He provides for all our needs. We, he guides us through the valley of the shadow of death because he is the one who has gone before us in his death and resurrection. He is the one who brings us salvation. He is the one who Israel has been waiting for. He is the one who is the fulfillment of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so here ends our small excursion through the Old Testament. So back to Luke 24. Jesus opens the disciples' minds to be able to understand the Scriptures. Just as a side note, whenever we come to God's Word, we should always pray beforehand the goal to open up our hearts and our minds to hear it. And then Jesus declares that he himself is the Messiah. That forgiveness of sins and repentance is ultimately found in him. And that this good news is for everyone. So what? What difference does this make to us today? Well, three things in particular that I want us to take note of this morning. Uh, Firstly, the Old Testament isn't just a collection of nice random stories. It's actually one big story 
that should point us to the need for and the sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. So then we always read the Old Testament in light of Jesus, uh, without Jesus' goggles on, if you'd like. Secondly, Jesus isn't just a random blip or a random event in history. No, he's been foretold for thousands of years before him. So this means that we can have assurance, we can have full assurance, that Jesus really is who he said he is. That our faith has such a firm foundation. It is steeped in history. And we have a great saviour. Thirdly and lastly, Jesus isn't just for the Israelites, but is indeed for the whole world, for the nations. Verse 47 says, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So then, friends, we can repent. Our sins can be forgiven because of Jesus. Because Jesus is the Messiah. And lastly, Jesus is ascended. Now various passages in the New Testament tell us that Jesus was around for about 40 days until he ascended. Uh, I could be wrong here. I'm just guessing, but I think the ascension is one of the more neglected parts of Jesus' ministry, but it is so important. Uh, They all go out to Bethany near the Mount of Olives. Jesus blesses them, and then verse 51, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. The disciples' fear and doubt at the beginning of the passage by the end become joy and regular worship. They worship Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. What a shift. Uh, But how is this good? How is Jesus leaving a good thing? Well, again, three things. Firstly, Jesus' ascension means that Jesus didn't die. Uh, Jesus didn't die again. Uh, He is still alive now and forevermore and sit at God's right hand. So this means that we don't worship, we don't live for a dead king. No, we live for a very alive, active, living Lord and Saviour who will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's the first thing. Secondly, Jesus' ascension won't leave the disciples or us to our own devices. No, in just a short while, the Holy Spirit, God's very presence, will come on the disciples with power, and God will be with them and us forever. Now, this isn't to say that the Holy Spirit and Jesus can't be in the same room at once. That would be very poor theology indeed. Uh, But this is how it was. Jesus was ascended, and the Holy Spirit came. Lastly, Jesus' resurrection and his ascension shows us what the new heavens and the new earth will be like. We won't be uh, spirits floating on a cloud with winged cherubs everywhere. No, we'll have a full-on, resurrected, physical body in a real physical place. That's what awaits us.
So then what does this mean for us today? Well, if you don't yet call yourself a Christian, there's a choice to be made here. A choice that not only affects your life now, but also life eternal. We've seen today that Jesus is the one who rose again to feed a death, that Jesus is the Messiah, as foretold by the prophets long ago, and that Jesus is ascended and alive and well today. And these are massive claims, huge claims. And so the choice is, do you believe? If you do, then turn to Jesus. Turn away from sin and turn towards living under the lordship of Jesus. If you don't yet, then I want to urge you to keep on asking questions about it. Uh, Sign up for the Alpha Course. Talk to a friend who follows Jesus. Ask them why they believe this. Because this good news is so worth investigating further. It is good news. And brothers and sisters, this is the news which gives us certainty of life. It gives us certainty of who Jesus is. It gives us certainty of the ultimate amazingness and supremacy of Jesus over all things. And so we can have hope in him. And so the only appropriate response is to build our life on him, to worship him, to find our joy in him, and to continually live our lives to his praise and glory. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the good news that Jesus is ascended. Thank you so much for the fact that you had a plan for salvation all along. That this was no plan B, that you loved us enough to have a plan to come, to die, and to rise as the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Lord, help us to trust in this. Refresh us in this. And help us to live our lives to your praise and glory all the days of our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our ascended, risen King. Amen.